Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Is meeting the requirements of the restored gospel possible or impossible? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM, an organization that has been for many years an apologetic resource for many Latter-day Saints, was known originally as the Foundation for Apologetic Information and Research, or FAIR. In 2013, they changed this name to where now FAIR stands for Faithful Answers Informed Response. Their website can be found at fairlatterdaysaints.org. It used to be fairmormon.org. No doubt this was changed because of Russell M. Nelson's edict in 2018 regarding the prohibition of using the word Mormon when describing Latter-day Saints. There's an article on this website that's titled Mormonism and Christianity slash Grace and Works slash Impossible Gospel. And the reason why we felt to respond to this is because whoever wrote this article, and we don't know who it is, and many times on these sites, they're all written anonymously, which frustrates me to no end, but... Whoever wrote this didn't feel it necessary to put their name. We're going to assume it is a he, so I will be responding with he when, when referring to the author of this particular piece, though quite honestly, I have no idea who wrote this. But it has a subheading saying that evangelicals use quotes from Mormon sources to try and paint a picture of an impossible gospel. Now, that's basically a true statement, and we often will use citations from LDS sources to show that if what these sources are saying is true, who is living up to these sources? You've heard us ask that question many times on this show when you're talking with Latter-day Saints. Ask them what's required. They all seem to know, but the question is, are they doing it? What I find fascinating about this article is whoever wrote this seems to agree with some of the things that we have to say, while at the same time saying we got it wrong. And it's very confusing. But there's one thing that stands out. Very rarely does this author cite what LDS leaders have said regarding some of the passages that we use. And there's only three of them in this article that we're going to be covering. What makes this article so weak is unlike us who interpret these passages based on what LDS leaders have said regarding these specific passages, this article doesn't do that. This author somehow feels that his own personal interpretations rule the day. Well, we know that that's just not true. Just because you might write an anonymous article and put it on the FAIR website doesn't mean that that's a correct interpretation that LDS members are supposed to follow. This is why we often cite what LDS leaders have said regarding those particular passages, and this is where this article is very weak. Do you think the publication of this article, and it was a few years ago when it was first published, 
shows that the impossible gospel tactic that we like to use is successful or it's not successful? Well, whether they would think it was successful or not, I can't say. But one thing for sure, it has caught their attention to write an article in response to it. But the question is, is it a good response? And and I think that becomes an important question because many times we'll hear Latter-day Saints, when you bring up something, they'll go, oh, well, our church has answered that question. My rebuttal to that is, well, did they answer it well? Because, yeah, anybody can answer a question, but did they answer the question well? I don't think this article answers the questions well. In fact, I think this writer, whoever it is, is sometimes very confusing. But at the same time, I think he's actually making our point for us, even though he's using other citations in order to do it. Well, let's look at what this article has to say. And we're going to start with the first question. Do Mormon scriptures portray an impossible gospel in which nobody can be saved? What does this author say in a subheading to that? A recent popular approach that evangelicals have taken in preaching to Mormons is to use quotes from LDS sources to try and paint a picture of an impossible gospel that doesn't save anyone from their sins. They argue that various passages in LDS scriptures and comments from LDS scriptures indicate that salvation is only attainable if we keep all of the commandments and forsake all sin. Since nobody does that, the argument goes, Mormonism is a gospel in which nobody can logically be saved. Well, I would agree that this person, whoever it is, seems to understand our position pretty succinctly here. But I don't think he's going to explain how we are wrong in making that charge. Notice what he does first of all. They argue that various passages in LDS scriptures and comments from LDS leaders indicate that salvation is only attainable if we keep all of the commandments and forsake all sin. Now, first of all, the charge itself is not correct. We're not arguing that. We're not saying that. We are citing LDS leaders and LDS manuals that say that exact thing. Now, for this individual to make it appear that that's not what their leaders have said and that's not what their scriptures have said is pretty irresponsible as far as I'm concerned, because all they would have to do is just look at the many articles that we have written on this subject where we back up our position by citing LDS leaders. Well, let's just look at a few, because to make it sound like that's our argument, that's just our position, the fact is, folks, LDS scripture and comments from LDS leaders, as this author says, do indicate that salvation is only attainable if we keep all of the commandments, and forsake all sin. Now, first of all, we have to define what salvation are we talking about. When we use the word salvation, we try to be very careful to define it as meaning celestial exaltation or eternal life. We know very well that in order to get merely general resurrection from the dead, or as some have said, is salvation by grace alone— You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to do anything. We know the difference between the two. But most Latter-day Saint leaders, when they are urging members to strive for celestial exaltation, that's exactly what they mean when they use the word salvation. That's what they are talking about. And the context usually proves us to be correct in that assumption. Well, let's look at some of these statements here. First of all, let's cite 
Melvin J. Ballard, he was a Mormon apostle, in a conference message way back in 1912, showing that this is the way it's been for a long, long time. But in October of 1912, in a general conference message, and you can find this in conference reports, October 1912, page 109, what does Melvin J. Ballard say there, Eric? The gratification of the desires of the flesh is devoid of sweetness and joy. It gives only transitory pleasure and leaves a lasting sting. The man or woman who masters self, who overcome evil, shall obtain their reward in the celestial kingdom of God and receive glory and exaltation, while they who neglect the opportunities of this life may have to wait 10,000 or a million years trying to overcome the sad effects of their neglect. Brothers and sisters, we all have weaknesses that we must overcome. While I say this, I believe with all my heart that I am speaking to the best people on earth. I believe there are no people in the world who have mastered and overcome mortal weaknesses quite so well as we have. But I want to see that mastery more complete. I want to see the children of those who have forsaken the sins of the world, who have left off the use of tea, tobacco, coffee, and liquor, take advantage of the example of the fathers and mothers. Thus, each generation shall become more perfect until we shall attain unto that which God has designed we should. Until that which God has designed we should. Now, notice carefully what he says at the beginning of that portion that was cited. The gratification of the desires of the flesh is devoid of sweetness and joy. It gives only transit pleasure and leaves a lasting sting. Then the man or woman who masters self, who overcome evil, shall obtain their reward in the celestial kingdom of God and receive glory and exaltation, while they who neglect the opportunities of this life may have to wait 10,000 or a million years trying to overcome. First of all, that they may have to wait 10,000 or million years trying to overcome really becomes kind of silly if you're going to believe Alma 34 in the Book of Mormon because a person who puts that off has actually procrastinated their repentance. And if that's the case and the Book of Mormon is to be believed, that means that they are then in the power of Satan, the power of the devil. He has sealed him his. And this is the final state of the wicked, according to Alma 34. But then we have another statement by Charles Penrose. And again, this is earlier Mormonism. This is April 1901, Conference Reports, page 43. What does he say? He that cannot abide and obey the celestial law cannot abide a celestial glory. And then he goes on to say, He that is obedient in all things and overcometh all things shall inherit all things. All that the Father hath shall be given unto him. But if he will not be obedient, if he will not bow to the laws which entitle him to celestial glory, he must receive that condition and that measure of glory in that kingdom of the laws of which he is willing to obey. In other words, if you keep a terrestrial law during this mortality, what Penrose is teaching is that you will end up in the terrestrial kingdom. You keep telestial law during your lifetime, you end up in the telestial kingdom. But notice, he says, that he that is obedient in all things and overcometh all things shall inherit all things. Sounds very similar to a conference message that Bruce Hafman gave not too terribly long ago called All for All. He's teaching basically that same thing back then as Hafen was teaching not too terribly long ago. But then we have this statement from James Talmadge, who was a Mormon apostle in the book Articles of Faith, this is the 1984 edition, starting on page 83, and we might mention that this book, Articles of Faith, 
was commissioned by the First Presidency for James Talmadge to write. And so you have to assume it was vetted by the First Presidency since he was given the job of writing this book on their behalf for the membership in the church. What did Talmadge say? There are some who have striven to obey all the divine commandments, who have accepted the testimony of Christ, obeyed the laws and ordinances of the gospel, and received the Holy Spirit. These are they who have overcome evil by godly works and who are therefore entitled to the highest glory. These belong to the church of the firstborn, unto whom the Father has given all things. They are made kings and priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek. They possess celestial bodies. Now, notice what Talmadge is talking about. He's talking about those who are going to end up in the church of the firstborn. What is the church of the firstborn? The church of the firstborn is the highest level in the celestial kingdom. That's where faithful Latter-day Saints are striving to go once they die. Now, Joseph Fielding Smith, in his book, Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 2, page 41, also speaks of the Church of the Firstborn when he says, Exalted beings belong to Church of the Firstborn. Those who gain exaltation in the celestial kingdom are those who are members of the Church of the Firstborn. In other words, those who keep all the commandments of the Lord. Those who keep all all the commandments of the Lord. So you see, when this author tries to make it sound that that's an argument we are raising, or perhaps even an argument that we are making up, we are interpreting the restored gospel as it's understood by Latter-day Saints to mean exactly that. If you are going to get the benefits of the restored gospel, what you need to do is keep all the commandments of the Lord. The leaders have said this. We did not make that up. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.